Hi, I'm Paul Stringflow and welcome to Tech Interviews. This week we talk about data privacy, so shh, keep it to yourself and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to uh, this week's Tech Interviews. Uh, so there's no doubt that uh, 2018 is absolutely going to be the year of data privacy, um, and driven in no small part by the uh, the introduction of the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, uh, where, where this year, on May the 25th, that becomes something that um, is something we, we will all need to comply with and, and make sense of. Um, so I thought, you know, well, a good way to start, uh, start this year of, of Tech Interviews podcast uh, would be to just delve a little bit into some of the things that you're going to absolutely need to make sure that you've, you've got in place to do that. Um, so to help me do that, I couldn't think of anybody better to ask than a, a regular friend of the show uh, and my go-to data privacy uh, expert, uh, none other than Sheila Fitzpatrick. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Paul. It's great to speak with you this morning. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so for, for those uh, for those who've got no idea what, uh, how the magic of podcasting works, it's quarter past three uh, in the, uh, the UK on a Friday afternoon while we're recording this. It's uh, what time for you, Sheila? It's a quarter after seven in the morning, my time. Yeah, so which is uh, always, always exciting and a dedication to data privacy when you're prepared to be up this time in the morning to talk about GDPR. So, um, so well, look, before we jump in, Sheila, why don't, uh, for people who've maybe not heard you on the show before or, or not seen you speak elsewhere, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, give people a little bit about, uh, a little bit about your background. Sure, and happy to. So um, it's always a pleasure for me to work with Paul. We've done a number of podcasts and interviews together and videos. Uh, my background is I have over 35 years' experience um, in the world of global data privacy, data protection. Um, I am considered one of the foremost experts on data privacy laws around the world. Work very closely with data protection authorities in over 160 countries and obviously have been intimately involved in GDPR compliance as well as compliance with some of the other new regulations that are coming out and some of the nuances that we're seeing um, around the world when it relates to the first and foremost, the protection of an individual's personal data and that fundamental right to privacy. So I do love to tell people I started at the age of five uh, because I've been doing this for a very long time and they can now figure out how old I am. <laughs> so I, I like to tell people that you just started when you were born doing this. I think that's, that's the best way to do it. That's a story we shall stick with for the, for the rest of the show. Um, so we were talking a little bit, um, a little bit off air about uh, kind of the current state of uh, and the experience that you've got working with organisations across the globe in, in their current state of data privacy, and maybe some of the areas where maybe they think they're more compliant with uh, regulation they might other, otherwise be, and that's a real area of concern. So, so maybe that's a good place to start. So, so kind of what is the kind of current state of play? Um, you know, we're ha happy to focus on G GDPR, but as you, you kind of touched on, there are there are other global regulations that, that equally uh, carry equal weight in, in those jurisdictions. So. So where, where are we right now? You know, what, what's what's the kind of uh, what kind of situation should should a company be in as they're, they're looking to be compliant and, and drive compliance towards new regulation? Uh, and what are some of the common areas of concern and maybe some of the common mistakes that you're seeing? So that's a great question because um, I talk about this quite often. Is that one of the things I see is you know first and foremost there's a lot of misleading information out in the marketplace today. You know we look at GDPR, which everyone is talking about, and it's certainly one of the biggest changes in data protection laws in over 25 years, and certainly the first extraterritorial law that's going to impact companies regardless of where they operate if they have any interaction with the personal data of an EU resident. But what I'm seeing is companies turning this into another Y2K. There's a lot of scaremongering going on. There's a lot of misleading marketing collateral. 
companies that have never um, really worked in the privacy space and aren't really experts in data privacy or data protection, all of a sudden you're seeing that they're, they're GDPR experts, they're trying to sell tools and technology to solve a business and legal compliance issue as opposed to really looking at the foundation of privacy. So they're out there saying, you know, if you buy my data lineage tool or my e-discovery tool, or in some cases, if you put your data in our data center in the cloud that's located in Germany, you'll be compliant with GDPR. And unfortunately, that's extremely misleading because it means that, you know, I use the analogy of a house, as Paul, you, you well know, that that's like building a house starting with the second floor. And so what I'm seeing is a lot of companies going out and investing in technology without truly understanding what their data privacy compliance program looks like. You know, what data are they collecting? Why are they collecting that data? Do they really need that data? Are they assessing that the principle of data minimization and what it is they need to manage whatever relationship they're managing? Or do they have the right policies and procedures in place? Do they have the right agreements in place, both internally and externally, to collect, process, store, and share personal data. And so, you know, the biggest concern that I'm afraid of is that companies are going to be spending a tremendous amount of money investing in technology that at some point in time is going to be very important, but is not the starting place. And come May 26, the day after GDPR goes into effect, they're going to go, I just spent millions of dollars you know, moving to this environment or investing in this tool, and I don't have a privacy program in place. I have no foundation, and I have no roadmap to continue that compliance effort. And, and that's a real concern. Um, that and they're so focused on GDPR that they're missing the fact that other jurisdictions like China, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, India, are implementing laws equal to, and in some cases, more restricted than GDPR. So there's no real global focus. Does that make sense, Paul? Yeah, it does. And, and I think, um, you know, and I, and I know we've talked about, uh, and I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes, that uh, some of the, the, the other chats that we've had um, about this idea of building this the wrong way around. And I know we spoke earlier about the idea that, you know, companies are going to sit there all proudly, you know, businesses of all types can sit there patting themselves on the back on, on May the 26th saying that, um, oh, we've managed to audit all of our data and look at the governance and control, but actually what they've never done is said, but should we have had it in the first place? You know, why have we got this data? Should it even be here? Um, I think like we, we said, um, said, said off air that, um, you know, that's almost like saying, well, actually what I've been able to prove is that I've now, it's now auditable all the data that I shouldn't have. Um, and, and, I, and I guess that's, that, that's a real problem you're seeing then is that the organizations are forget and really not not focusing on the basics and are kind of leaping to step 17 and 18 rather than starting on step one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and that really brings up the point of, you know, so many companies are focused on, on security and saying, well, if we have the right secure infrastructure in place, if we use tokenization, if we use encryption, if we build the fortress around the data, we've met our obligations. And, so, you know, for those that have heard me speak before, I always use the analogy of if I go down the street and I rob a bank and I bring that money home and I put it in a vault and I lock it in, my, in the vault in my house and I say I'm the only one that has the key. Nobody can get to that money. It's totally protected. Well, then please come knocking on my door. They're not going to care that I have built a fortress around that money because it's not my money to begin with. And I think that's happening a lot in the world 
of data privacy compliance, that companies automatically start looking at security, which don't get me wrong, is extremely important, but you can't be locking down data you're not legally allowed to have. So if you haven't addressed your data privacy compliance obligations, that foundational aspect of privacy, the best security in the world is not going to help you. And I think yeah, that, that leads on to another point. I just made a note here while you were talking that, um, and I know it's something that we've talked about before, that the idea of companies focusing on, and, and again, maybe things that businesses are making mistakes doing, is focusing on the security of their data. You know, I've built a, built a big wall around it. I've built a big vault around it. Um, but that's very different to getting the privacy of that data correct, isn't it? You know, there's, a, there's some real fundamental differences in, in what we mean when we talk about securing the data and ensuring its privacy. So, so I mean, what are some of the common mistakes you see in, in that, that kind of area, you know, where, where companies think that security is enough? Um, you know, is, is there some common, common mistakes people are making there as well? That's probably the most common mistake. I mean, where companies are automatically starting with, you know, as you mentioned, not do we have a legal right to have that data, how do we collect it? They're looking at, okay, we have all this data in place, we've, we've identified where that data is, and now we've put the right technology in place to ensure that there won't be any unauthorized access to that data. Now, that is a component of GDPR, making sure that you have that data locked down and protected, and there obviously is a new data breach notification requirement of 72 hours. But fundamentally, you haven't addressed your obligations under GDPR when you start just looking at the security and the technology, because if you think about it, there's 99 articles in GDPR. Only eight specifically deal with technology. Other articles are a combination of business processes and technology, but the whole foundation around the regulation is do you really need this personal data? Do you have a right to have that data? And what's the, the lawfulness of the processing, processing and the legitimate interest of collecting that data? So, you know, we go back, we keep saying the same thing. Going back and looking only at the security aspect, you're building a house starting at the second or third floor it's going to collapse because you haven't built the foundation. You need to sit there and think about, okay, as an organization, these are the services we provide. These are our offerings. What data do you absolutely have to have in order to provide those services or manage that relationship? It's not a matter of a nice to have and then we've locked it down so nobody can get to it. It's a matter of do I really have a right to have that data and what's my justification for collecting that data? Does it benefit the individual? Because data privacy laws are all around that fundamental right to privacy and putting control of personal data back into the hands of the data subjects, not back into the hands of the companies that want to use that data, whether it's for monetization purposes, whether it's for business purposes, but it's really putting control back into the individual. So security is important. But, but most companies are thinking that, you know, as long as they have security in place and they know where that data is, they're good. And, and that's, that's one of the biggest misperceptions I'm seeing today. Well, while we go on to, and, and again, got me, got me thinking while you were talking there, that, I mean, are there some things that, you know, we, we talk about GDPR a lot, and you, you kind of touched on this, uh, you touched on this right at the start, actually, the idea that there are people, there are organizations who are, who are knocking on a business's door and saying, I'm a GDPR expert, and I, I'm going to help you to achieve some level of compliance. Um, and, 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 you know, and I think there's a, there's a whole debate around whether you actually, can actually ever be truly compliant with GDPR, but maybe, maybe that's for another show. Um, but one of the things that um, interests me is, that is, is there some, 
is there some common misconceptions about, and we, we can focus on GDPR for now, you know, is, is there some common misconceptions around that regulation where people believe that, they, that some things are or are not true about GDPR when, when the opposite is when the opposite's true? And that, that doesn't have to be technology-based. Now, is there, is, there some, is there some common misconceptions that you're seeing that, that businesses should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm seeing quite a number. I mean, that goes back to a lot of the misleading communication that's going on. Companies that have jumped on the GDPR bandwagon or the data privacy bandwagon because they see it as another revenue generator. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's Y2K all over again. You know, the world's going to fall apart come May 25th if you haven't invested in our e-discovery tool or our data lineage tool or our data portability tool. And that's just not true. The world is not going to collapse come May 26th, the day after GDPR goes into effect. You know, I think companies need to understand that very few organizations, whether, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, are going to be 100% compliant by May 25th. But what they do need to understand is they need to have that roadmap in place to show that they've built their foundation, that they, they've defined what data they absolutely need in order to manage the relationship, that they've built their policies and their procedures, that they have the right consents and authorizations in place where they're required. If they're relying on legitimate interest as a basis for processing, they better have a true justification for that legitimate interest because the data protection authorities are going to come down hard on companies that default to legitimate interest and saying, well, we don't have to go out and get consent. We don't have to be transparent about what we're doing because we need that data in order to manage a, a business commitment or a legal commitment. And that's a real misperception mis, um, that, I'm, that I'm seeing out there. Um, I'm also seeing that, that companies are so focused on GDPR that they're ignoring the fact that there are caveats in GDPR that do grant the member states of the EU the right to implement more restrictive requirements and interpretations of GDPR, especially around the processing of employee data. Germany has implemented even more restrictive regulations Austria is another one, Spain's another one, Italy. So they're really so focused on GDPR and, again, all around the technology and the security that they're not understanding the true aspects of what these data protection regulations mean. You know, and especially if they're a global company, they, GDPR is a great model to use for your global compliance. But if you operate in Asia-Pacific, you need to look at what's going on in Japan. You need to look at what's going on in India and in China and Australia, Singapore, Philippines, that are also implementing laws that cannot be ignored. And every company I talk to continually references EU law, even in their agreements with companies in Asia, they will talk about they're compliant with, say, for instance, the U.S. EU Privacy Shield. And I said, well, that has no relevance outside of the EU, and it has absolutely no relevance in certain countries even within the EU. So I think a lot of companies have blinders on, and they're so focused on one area that they're truly missing what data privacy laws really mean. So, um, I mean, you touched there before on, on the idea of, Having a roadmap in place. So, you know, so, so, what are the kind of things that, um, you know, to, if, if I'm listening to this, you know, in, in January 2018, and looking at what are the kind of things I need need to have in place come the end of May, uh, what what kind of things should you, you know, should be happening in the roadmap? What what kind of areas of focus should there be? 
So, so I always tell companies the first thing you need to do is you need to step back and do an assessment of your current data privacy compliance program. What is your foundation of data privacy built on? Do you have binding corporate rules in place? Do you use model contractual clauses? Are you reliant on, say, the UK Data Protection Act, which obviously currently is a deficient um, act in regards to compliance with GDPR? Do you need to look at the new uh, proposed data protection bill that the ICO has put into place? Uh, do you use the German data protection regulation as your foundation? But what is it based on? Is it based on the privacy shield? And look at how effective your current data privacy program is. Do a gap analysis to determine where you meet the obligations under the current laws and under the GDPR and, and what's missing. Then I tell companies, start looking at your, your policies and your procedures around the collection, processing, use, transfer, sharing of personal data. How transparent are your policies and procedures? Are they easily understand understandable? Are they clear about why you're collecting data and what you're doing with it? Are, they, are you being truthful and transparent about how that data is being used? Are you collecting it for one purpose but using it for a totally different purpose? You need to look at how you're collecting it to begin with. Do you get that data from the data subject? Are you getting it from a third party? How much do the data subjects know about what data you're holding on them and why you're holding it and where you're getting it from? Making sure that we're, you're assessing third party providers to ensure that they comply with the applicable data privacy laws. So, so far these things that I'm talking about have nothing to do with technology. It has to do with building that foundation of data privacy. Looking at where the initial point of intersection is with that, that data and who is obtaining that initial consent, or if you're relying on legitimate processing or legitimate interest for your processing, what is your documentation and justification around that legitimate processing look like? Get all of that in place, and then start to look at what data are you currently holding, where is that data residing, where is that data backed up and replicated? Who are you sharing that data with? What are the flows of that data? So it's, it's building that house again. It's the ground floor is your current data privacy program and the gap analysis. The first floor are the policies, the procedures, the contractual agreements, the consents, the opt-ins, the opt-outs, and the identification of what data you need. It's, it's all of that foundational work that builds your data privacy program. Then when you start introducing the second floor, that's when you go out and assess what you currently have and where it's residing, who has access to it, you know, where it's backed up and replicated. If you can have all that in place by May, you will be in very good shape. And then after May 25th, the work doesn't stop. That's when you really have to continue to identify the flow of that data, identify having a records retention and destruction schedule and policy in place so that you know how long you should be maintaining that data. Because you should be, companies need to start deleting and destroying data they no longer need, and they have to be prepared to address the right to be forgotten, uh, the subject access requests that we're going to see a, a major uptick in people wanting to know what data is being held on them. So there's, there's a very logical procedure in building the GDPR compliance program that does not start with going out and investing in a data center that's headquartered in Germany just so you can say the data remains in Germany. There's a lot more to it than that.
Well, I think that also that that leads to um, yeah, we were talking about misconceptions before, but I suppose that leads to one of those points there where uh, you certainly get a view sometimes that people think that um, oh, I, I'm now compliant, I can tick that box and put it on a shelf. But of course, it's 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 forever going to be this kind of morphing and changing set of regulations because the way we collect data, the kind of data we hold, is changing so rapidly that you can see this is. You know, the, the, the policies and procedures we have in place to look after that data are going to have to continue to change as well, aren't they? Absolutely. And you have to be able to audit against those, those policies and procedures to make, you, make sure you are adhering to what you've put in place. I mean, I'm a big proponent of binding corporate rules. I've written them for a number of companies. And to me, that is really your playbook for the collection and processing and use of data. But that's also a living document because as things change, um, companies will have to ensure they're adhering to their binding corporate rules and make changes as the regulations and laws change and as the use of data and the amount of data you're collecting changes as well. Um, you know, just to go back a minute, Paul, you asked about one of the other areas where companies are really, I think, kind of falling short. A lot of companies are not addressing the whole records management and records retention component, which is very clear under existing data privacy laws today, as well as the new GDPR, that data should only be held for the period of time for which it is needed or if there is a legal requirement to maintain it. If companies do not have a clearly articulated records retention policy and schedule, how are they going to know how long they're supposed to maintain data? And that's where a lot of companies fall short. Well, I, I, I know we're coming to the end of our time now, and um, you know because I, I know how much you love an early morning call, and you've, you've got another one to do straight after this. But um, what I wanted to wrap up on was, was something that was suggested to us um, in a, 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 an internet TV interview that myself and Sheila did together, and I'll, and I'll post a link to that in the show notes because because Sheila at least is really good on it. Um, <laughs> All just as good, if not better. <laughs> one of the things that the uh, the host said to us was it would be really interesting to understand what kind of things that people think, uh, what, what are the kind of things that people can do with their data today in terms of data privacy that are okay to do today, but come May 26 when GDPR becomes effective, is will no longer be okay to do. And it kind of got me thinking actually as we were talking, that the idea of some companies saying, you know, oh, well this is a Y2K thing, it doesn't make any difference to me in reality. But maybe can you just give it, just in terms of wrapping up, uh, um, a couple of examples of things that on May the 25th will be okay, and on May the 26th absolutely won't be okay. Well, I think there's a number of things. One is that, that maintaining data forever, companies that never want to destroy data, that's not going to be okay after May 26th. Um, certainly the idea of, well, if you're an employer and you have access to your employee data, that you have the right to do whatever you want with that data, that you can use it for not only purposes that benefit the, the individual, but also purposes that benefit the company. That's going to be very difficult after May 25th if you don't have a legal justification for doing so. Um, being able to share data with third parties without entering into very clearly articulated data privacy processing agreements is going to be um, very difficult after May 25th. So there's a number of other areas I can identify, but those are probably three of the most critical. Yeah, and so, and so for companies who 
uh, you know, maybe as a, as a last message, if somebody's listening to this as a as a business, as a, either a business owner or or a CIO or just, just somebody involved in technology in a, in a company, if they're listening to this and thinking, yeah, but is GDPR really going to affect me? I mean, is there a message to them? Is is this kind of regulation, particularly well, not just in the EU, because you kind of touched on right at the start. You know, this is global ramifications. You know, is, is this something that absolutely, you, if you're not taking it seriously now, you you probably really need to start start taking it seriously, like yesterday. Absolutely, the, the companies that are burying their heads and saying this is not, this doesn't apply to me, are going to find themselves in trouble. Maybe not necessarily initially with the data protection authorities. But their customers are going to start asking how do they comply with their obligations under the law. And if you're a company that provides, whether it's technology or services, and you're working with EU-based companies, you better be prepared to answer those questions on how you comply with your obligations as a data processor. Because that's another change under GDPR, where third-party providers in the past have been able to pass obligations for data privacy back down to their customers. That is definitely going to change after May 25th, that third-party providers now are going to have equal liability to data controllers under the law and are going to have to prove that, that they have addressed and complied with the various regulations. Well, I, mean, I think that's, um, you know, uh, and we've done well to wrap up on time here because I, I know we can talk about this topic literally for days, let alone hours. Um, but you know, so, so I think that's, that's some really fantastic insight there, and you know, and, and hopefully gives uh, the folk listening something to understand better and and look into their own businesses and, and look at their, their own their own work they're doing around data privacy and and, and see whether we've identified any gaps there in in the conversation that we've had. Um, Bola Sheila, and before you go, if people want to find out a little bit more about the work that you do or find out how to how to stalk you online, uh, you know, can they do that? How can they find you? Absolutely. They can find me on LinkedIn, and I can also um, they can uh, follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Sheila P, and my email address, I'll give that out, is sfitzpat, that's S-F-I-T-Z-P-A-T, at hrglobal.com. More than happy to help or talk to any company that has information or questions or concerns. Well, I know we were talking before the show about that uh, I think between us we're probably going to put out some more useful information hopefully for, for people who listen to this show and, uh, and, and who read some of the, the stuff that, uh, that we write. Um, so, so we're going to look to produce some other things and maybe some, some other options as well where um, you know, we can maybe fly some questions at, at Sheila and, and, and the, the expertise that she has in, in this topic. So, so keep an eye out for that. But, um, but for now, Sheila, look, I really appreciate time as I always do. Uh, I think that's been really insightful and helpful. So um, thanks very much. Great talking to you and look forward to speaking to you again very soon. I do as well. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. And do look out for some work I'll be doing with Sheila in the not-too-distant future around data privacy and GDPR. Next time out, I talk with Val Bercovici about an exciting new project that he's working on. So to make sure you catch that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other Good Homes podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.